Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Mary Fran Johnson. Mary Fran is the founder and chief executive officer of Mary Fran Johnson Media and the host of CIO Leadership Live on CIO.com. She's also the former editor-in-chief of CIO Magazine and was the executive director of IDG's CIO programs. In this interview, we discuss Mary Fran's career path, including her non-traditional pathway to covering CIOs. We discuss why technology leaders should not look to align with the business, but instead look to accelerate it. We spend a good portion of the conversation discussing her take on CIO board leadership, including some common factors of CIOs who make it onto boards. We also cover the benefits to companies who have CIOs on their boards and lessons CIOs who are on boards can take back to their home companies. Lastly, she offers advice to CIOs looking to join boards, among a variety of other topics. This interview features insights from my upcoming book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. It's available now for pre-order on Amazon or through gettingtonimble.com. Stick around after the interview to learn more. Mary Fran Johnson, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you. Thanks so much, Peter. I always enjoy talking with you. I do as well. I'm so pleased it's on the record at this point. I'm, I'm uh, as somebody who is a luminary in the CIO space, you do not need uh, a big introduction with my audience, I don't imagine. But uh, you are, are perhaps best known as a former editor-in-chief of CIO Magazine, the um, the moderator of the CIO Leadership Live uh uh, broadcast, which is a just a pheno- phenomenal series of interviews with with leaders in the tech space, CXOs, with a healthy dose, of course, of chief information officers, as the name suggests, and mm-hmm. a prolific writer, uh, somebody whose wisdom I know my team and I have have gained mightily from across the years as well. So I'm so pleased to 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 have this more formal conversation after many many informal ones with you. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Peter. I think we've got a lot of great stuff to talk about. Indeed. Indeed. Well, I thought we'd begin at the beginning, at least as relevant to the CIO space. You're not somebody who uh, grew up with immersed in technology. Uh, you were somebody who uh, the written word came more easily to the uh, than to, to many others, perhaps. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you were focused on journalism. I wonder what was what was the genesis of your time uh, in focusing your skills on the CIO space? Okay, thanks. Excellent question. And I love telling this story because I think that it reflects so much of how many of the IT leaders and CIOs that we both know today ended up in the positions that, you know, they were music majors or they majored in English literature and history, and then they got really interested in data side of things. For me, I had started out, I spent 10 years at daily newspapers in Florida and Ohio and Washington State, and I reported on everything from city and county commission beats to K-12 education to police, even state politics when I was the bureau chief for Gannett News Service out in Columbus, Ohio. And then we were moving to the Boston area in uh, 1989. My husband was an atmospheric scientist and he was taking a job in Cambridge. And so naturally I went, reached out to the Boston Globe and to the Boston Herald and it was, nobody was hiring. So I was, we were arriving in the Boston area and I had heard about a very vibrant 
technology publishing world here. And so I had examined it somewhat and then made some phone calls. Uh, a lot of this was so far before the days of regular emails and you know we, we weren't living on our phones then. So I was just applying my reporter skills to it. And I ended up getting um, a copy of Computer World mailed to me and sat there. I remember sitting there in my living room in Ohio looking through it and feeling somewhat reassured that I could understand about what half the stories were about. Um, and then on the drive from Ohio to Massachusetts, I basically grilled my husband uh, up one side and down the other about the computer industry, because I was coming into it only knowing that IBM made typewriters, you know, and, and the rest of it was kind of a big mystery to me. But I had been using some of the very early uh, Unix. There was a VI editor on Unix that you could um, use to do work on. He had some Sun workstations, some very early versions of Sun and Unix workstations at our house. And so I'd used that a little bit. And I remember when I was in my interview for the computer world job with um, the executive and executive editor and the editor-in-chiefs of computer world i think they were very impressed that i was referring to things like the vi editor in unix <laughs> so but computer world always hired they were hired reporters who could learn the beat and i think that's pretty much the way almost everybody on the tech journalism side got into it they were journalists by training and then they do they dove into their beats because one of the things we discovered in trying to hire people over the years, if you tried to hire in a technical person and hand them a technology beat, they wouldn't know the story angle if it fell on them. So it was really important if you were genuinely out there reporting. Um, and then I found I enjoyed it. Uh, I just enjoyed it so much. And by the time I was a couple years into my job at Computer World, when the Boston Globe was looking to interview people and hire and all, but I wouldn't have left it for anything at that point. It, it just, it was such a, I just enjoyed the way the story kept changing and advancing and moving forward. And I think that that's what's kept all of us so interested in this field for so long, is that the, the change aspects and the transformative work that's going on uh, is nearly constant. It's just, you can probably remember there was a time in the late 90s when everybody thought that, well, Microsoft was going to take over the world and that was that. And, and we hadn't even heard of Google yet. You know, and, and the iPhone hadn't made its appearance. I mean, there's just so much that advances. Whereas in daily newspapers, you find after a while that the course of human events tend to be very circular. You know, I mean, when you've covered, you know, 180 school board meetings, you know, there's not going to be very many surprises. But the wonderful thing about technology is how it keeps transforming itself. So the profession itself has just been uh, incredibly engaging. Yeah, very interesting. I wonder if you could reflect back on what the CIO discipline was like when you first started meeting people with that title. Uh, very different from today. And and sure. I'd love in your own thoughts, just kind of reflect on where, where it was in the late 80s, early 90s when you started to meet these, these men and women who had that role. Well, yes, the um, I, the eighties, as there were late eighties into nineties, was probably the the apogee. I mean, things were booming in technology publications. It was an incredibly competitive space, and I, I still was meeting and interviewing 
uh, people with titles like data processing manager. And then after that, it became IS managers for information systems. Um, and it was probably not until the early 2000s that we actually started using the terminology of IT leaders, especially from, I was, I was with Computer World for a good while, like for 15 years. Mm. So all through the 90s and into the early 2000s. And then I came to CIO Magazine a little bit later around 2008. But what was always in is, in fact, CIO Magazine was a sister publication of Computer Worlds because all of these, anything that had a tech publication with a world on the end, like Info World, Mac World, Computer World, Network World, uh, that came from the, the genius brain of Patrick McGovern, who was the CEO and the founder of International Data Group, or IDG. And um, he was uh, he was quite a visionary. And one of his publishers was Joe Levy, who got CIO magazine started in, I think, 1987. It was very early on because I know later on when I was running the CIO 100 Innovation Awards program, I would, I almost got a, a little embarrassed where I'd start telling people, well, this program has been around for more than 34 years. And of course, in technology, very few things last that long. But Joe was the kind of the, the, the brilliant, uh, the brilliance behind, uh, the fact that the CIO profession and that attaching a whole magazine around a growing, uh, C-level executive presence in the boardroom was going to be as important as it was. Mm -hmm. And I've run into so many, uh, so many CIOs who still think CIO magazine is publishing in print. And it's, it's not anymore, not since 2015. But my colleague, Amy Bennett at CIO.com, she's the executive editor there. She keeps it going. They do a digital edition every quarter now. Um, in fact, I was admiring one of the recent, the January issue is all about digital transformation and how the impact of COVID-19 is changing it. And my favorite part was that the the verb for that was accelerating digital transformation. And that was always one of my hobby horses. Even, even when I was still with Computer World, I didn't like to hear technology leaders talking about aligning with the business all the time. I wanted them to talk about how technology could accelerate the business. So for a while, I went around saying that the alignment was the scarlet A of, of IT leadership, because if you're only talking about catching up and um, doing what the business people have figured out and you're just delivering on it, you're really not part of the strategy piece of being into technology leadership. Um, so that was, you know, all those things kind of developed over time. And as I, you know, as I mentioned, I just got totally hooked on the advancing story and the way and, and my transition from computer world on to CIO magazine was very much kind of, it was a, it was like following the, the bell curve up as the profession itself got more and more strategic to the business. And uh, most of the CIOs that I interviewed you today, you'd be hard pressed to say that you weren't talking to any of the other CXOs around the table. And I know you and I have both tracked this very much as it, as it has become so much about innovation and business strategy and leadership. Um, and in the when I was at CIO Magazine for about 10 years, I was running all of the CIO events that the magazine was putting on. And I used to, as I was creating the agendas, I would simply develop the themes under any of those three big umbrellas. 
The stories were about innovation, they were about leadership, they were about business strategy. And if they happened to be talking about upgrading an ERP system or bringing in, you know, a whole new telecommunications infrastructure, that was really just a detail in the stories. And I think that that, more than anything, is the way the profession itself has just really taken its place at the senior leadership table. We used to have all those stories about getting a seat at the table. Today, when you talk to CIOs, they, they're more interested in talking about how you keep that seat at the table and how you work with your board and your CEO and, you know, that, uh, but you, you know this, I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard. <laughs> no, but always good to get your perspective, certainly. Well, so uh, more recently, you've been uh, been working as part of your own company, MFJ Media. You are the MFJ in MFJ. I am the MFJ. Yes, yeah. Mary Fran Johnson Media. Yeah. When I was forming my business, the um, the former editor-in-chief uh, is very, of CIO Magazine is a very good friend of mine, and we stay in touch. Abby Lundberg. And I think her name is just as well known with CIOs as my own. And um, when I was figuring out her, she is Lundberg Media. Mm. And I thought the one, you know, the biggest asset I had going into my own solopreneurship or my own consultancy was name recognition with all those hundreds and hundreds of CIOs and uh, VPs of IT and IT managers, people that followed our work at Computer World and then later at CIO Magazine. And so as I was figuring out what to do with it, Abby was one of the people I talked to and, and she said, use your name brand. I mean, it just, it kind of, it made a lot of sense. Um, so the, and I, and I think you and I have talked about this before, how it is when you first get started, uh, I used to joke that my elevator pitch took a 50 story building because I was so <laughs> I was so busy figuring out um, I knew more things that I didn't want to do. I didn't want to develop sales leads. I didn't want to monetize my network of CIOs. I really wanted to keep doing what I had always enjoyed doing so much as the editor in chief both at Computer World and CIO, which was continuing to connect CIOs and digital leaders with a whole variety of opportunities, ways to grow their leadership brands. Because that's another one I mentioned, one of my hobby horses was about accelerating rather than aligning. Another one is that CIOs, I believe, are way too modest about their capabilities and about what they are doing for their companies. And so I constantly, whenever I get on the phone with them, I tend to, I go and, of course, the first thing you do is look at someone's LinkedIn profile. And they readily admit, most of them, that their LinkedIn LinkedIn profiles could use a little work. And then I give them my little lecture about how important your own leadership brand is because it's really your professional reputation in the world. Uh, and then I send them some slides that I put together, uh, you know, and say, just do these few things to your profile to improve it, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got started with that. And I, I felt like connecting CIOs and digital leaders with opportunities was really just an updated version of the way I used to describe my editor-in-chief job at the magazine, because I was doing both. I said I was always, my job was really filling pages and stages with CIOs. 
And that's what I wanted to continue doing uh, when I was just off on my own. And I only left IDG because it was getting repetitive. It was, you know, um, event businesses are, they're very habit bound. The, you know, you get to the point where if something's working and the sponsors and the advertisers are happy, nobody really wants to mess with it very much. And so I, I woke up one morning at one of our Dallas events and I realized that I was facing another 10 events for the rest of 2019. And I felt like it was getting kind of too easy. There was not a lot of challenge left there for me. And so, and now one of my, uh, one of my best clients is still IDG because you mentioned my CIO leadership live show. Um, I've actually been doing those since the end of 2017. And they have been a, a, a big success with CIOs, of course, but they're also very popular and, and very well received, uh, as video productions from IDG and from mm -hmm. CIO. They get a, a lot of viewership. Um, and when we first got it started, the the video crew at IDG came to me and said, we'd like you to interview CIOs on camera. And I said, sure, I love that. You know, I've just, I discovered that along the way that in, in addition to enjoying editing and interviewing people, I also just enjoy being on stage. And that's, that's something that sets me apart from a lot of other editors, because editors tend to be fairly background, fairly introverted, but I'm, I'm kind of an outlier that way. And I, I just, I, I, I joke with people that I've kind of never met a microphone I didn't like, you know, whereas with our people, the CIOs, if you were to give them a choice, would you rather hold a live reptile or a microphone in your hand? They're going to pick the snake, you know, so, so that, uh, um, going into the the leadership live uh, idea, I said, well, so how long would you like these interviews? 10, 15 minutes? And they said, oh, no, a full hour. Hmm. And I said, really? I said, who's going to? Well, I mean, I think CIOs are fascinating. Do we really think that people are going? And, and the answer was, OMG, yes. You know, I, I just got a note the other day from an executive at Capgemini, and he was telling me how much he enjoyed uh, not only watching the uh, interview and listening to the, because we also uh, produce them as audio podcasts afterwards. He said that, and he was kind of marveling at the fact that the conversation held him for the entire hour. And that, you know, my big skill that I bring to that is the knowledge about how to keep people talking. The fascination part, the compelling part is really what these, what these CIOs have to say. Yeah. Um, and so we started that in November of 2017. And I now do them twice a month. And with the with the support from CIO.com, my friends there, and also our CIO Executive Council, which is a professional association that is part of IDC now, International Data Corp. That's great. Appreciate that overview. Well, one of the things that you have been covering uh, as somebody who enjoys your writing and your CIO Leadership Live show is the the continued ascent of chief information officers all the way into the boardroom. And this yes. is something in 1989 that those MIS managers wouldn't have dreamed of. Um, this is really representative of a function, a discipline, as I say, in ascent. And mm -hmm. recognition, rec it's recognition of how critical, how truly strategic uh, technology has become for all businesses. Yes. I talk a little bit about... Um, what you have learned 
in terms of CIOs joining boards? I would love to get some of your mm-hmm. insights around, uh, you know, w- w- why this change is happening in your own, uh, from your own point of view. And would, perhaps we can also get into a little bit about uh, what you see as some of the differentiating factors of the CIOs who have joined boards successfully so far. Great, great, yes. And you're just you are knowingly tapping into my favorite vein of conversation this time. <laughs> so it'll be it'll be hard to get me to stop talking about this. So just just hold up your hands and wave a red flag if it gets to be too much. One of the things that I noticed over uh, the many years of running our innovation awards program and also the CIO Hall of Fame, which was is part we established that in 1997. That actually got got going ten years before I even got to CIO Magazine. But there are now, I think, over 150 CIOs who have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. And over the 10 years that I was running that program, I had many lovely dinner conversations with CIOs who were there picking up their Hall of Fame, their little glass statue. And inevitably, we would talk about, and many of them are within two to five years of either retirement or moving on to another type of role. Of course, what I found is that CIOs don't really retire. They they go forth and they have careers serving on boards or they join um, private equity companies or they become advisors. Uh, they get involved with startups. You know, they're, they're usually, they're never done. I mean, especially the ones that are in their late fifties and sixties, you know, it's, it's um, so the um, one of the, uh, constant topics that came up when I would ask CIOs about, well, you know, what next for you? If you weren't being a CIO today, what would be next? They often talked about, well, I'm very interested in serving on boards, public boards, Fortune 500 boards, private company boards. A lot of them already are doing some sort of work on a nonprofit board. But then when I would, you know, in typical obnoxious journalist fashion, ask more questions about that. Like, well, how are you going about that? And um, what is your next step on that? They generally, they, they didn't know. And so when I was starting um, Mary Fran Johnson Media, I talked with my friend Amy Bennett at CIO.com. And I said, I would love to write about this journey toward the other side of the boardroom table. But also, I've, I've been trying to actually, I do one or two columns a month. And I've been trying to kind of split the attention between CIOs who need to be in front of boards and some of the skills that that requires. And then also CIOs who end up on the other side of the boardroom table. How does that happen? And it, I, I think it's been, it's been a very fun journey for me because it was nothing that I had really interviewed a lot of people about or knew a whole lot about. And I was relieved to know that most of my audience also didn't know much about it. And so I started and because I've got, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. And so I was using the LinkedIn in search tools to find how many of my currently practicing CIOs or even former CIOs are on boards. And it's a pretty huge number. There's increasingly uh, CIOs are showing up on that other side of the board table. Well, I say a huge number in terms of overall board members. People with backgrounds in technology leadership are still a very small percentage of all those seats out there. But that's great because what a growth opportunity, right? Uh, so I, uh, what I've found as I've interviewed, you asked what like some of the common factors of people that the CIOs who end up on boards. 
they do tend, I've found, I often start with my CIO friends who talk about servant leadership. They are often, they've started with nonprofits. They're very involved with charitable organizations. Um, in fact, we were talking earlier, my friend Angela Yoakum, who I just interviewed for the last Leadership Live show, she has been, uh, you know, she comes from a service-oriented family that we're always, you know, get out there and join nonprofits and what can you be doing to help your community? And and so there's a definite tendency toward that. They tend to have also a really deep, a deep and abiding interest in the business side of things. They, you know, the supply chain, the distribution problems, they are, they truly are business thinkers who happen to have an expertise in technology. That really seems to make them stand out. Many, many CIOs today, of course, have MBAs. So they understand a lot about the business side. They also, they, they generally, they have set board service as one of their career goals. They're thinking about it in an intentional fashion. Uh, it is very rare. Uh, for um, uh, especially a paying seat on a board, a fee-based seat on a board to just fall into anybody's lap. The the pursuit of service on a private or a public board uh, it has to be very intentional. And once they decide they're interested in that, they, they do their homework and they look around. There's lots of programs right now for board readiness. Um, a friend of mine, Bob Zukas, runs the Digital Directors Network, which is an advocacy group trying to get more technology leaders on boards. It's free to join for qualified technology executives. Um, and there are numerous other programs through universities. Um, the SIM, the Society of Information Management, will hold panel discussions on this sort of thing. So I think that there has been in the last year or two, I think I'm early in on the trend, which is always nice because that way your your column gets some readership. But I do think that it has been growing in terms of interest on the CIO side. Have you found that too? You talk with a lot of, you talk with a more, probably as many CIOs as I do or, and more. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Uh, Mary Fran, I am finding that to be the case, uh, mm -hmm. that a trickle has become um, you know, let's say a small stream uh, yeah. with the yeah. promise, I think, of this becoming more of a, you know, into bigger and broader bodies of water uh, yes. to, keep, to keep with the <laughs> analogy. And I think that if anything, the pandemic has uh, underscored the need for this sort of leaderships as, as of course, uh, so many companies now are leaning on their digital sources of revenue on digital tools to, to help them remain productive, uh, you know, date data and in order to help uh, run their operations and so forth. So absolutely a trend that I think is, is, uh, is growing as well. I, I wanted to ask you um, talk a bit about some of the, um, what you see companies gaining from adding a board member with a, who is a CIO and with a technology and digital background. Uh, mm -hmm. but I'd also be interested in your perspectives on, um, what's, what the CIO in that company that the, that a CIO joins the board of also gains from that uh, experience mm -hmm. as well. Well, and I, that's a that's a great topic, and it's a really fun thing to talk with them about. Um, because it's some, I read, 
recently wrote a column basically saying, here's five compelling reasons why you, Mr. Full-Time, Mr. or Ms., full-time working CIO, why you should be thinking about board service and why this is such an ideal time to do it. And you mentioned it, all the attention on how far along a company was in their digital transformation has had so much to do with how successfully they've been managing through the pandemic. So I keep likening it to having a a golden spotlight on technology right now. And, and so many boards have, I mean, they boards were aware, of course, for quite a long time about the risks of, of cyber, cybersecurity break-ins and things. And they've all heard the presentations about digital transformation projects underway. And, you know, they've looked closely at why we need to put so much money into it and that sort of thing. And, um, all of that has uh, it has just been so exposed to a very beneficial light of day i think during the pandemic and what companies gain what ceos and a couple of them uh, that i've talked with um you know i've asked ceos directly when i've talked with them what do you get out of this why should you let your cio go gallivanting off to help some other company and of course it's never a company in competition you know cuz cios are c level executives they're fiscal responsibilities and they are essentially um they can't go uh they can't go into areas that are going to be problematic that way but there is a depth of knowledge and an understanding about uh, company operations and digitizing businesses that when you look at the average board today they are 65-year-old white males, generally from either retired or near the end of their careers as CEOs and CFOs. So there is um, an absolutely acknowledged need for real understanding about digitizing the business. And that, if anything, is what CIOs are providing when they take a job on the other side of the boardroom table or when they're in front of the board as members of their CEO's team. I really think that it works well for them on both sides of the table. It's uh, tech startups, for instance, gain a lot of insight into the customer mind when they get CIOs on their boards. The companies that bring this kind of diversity of thought and the sort of operational depth that uh, a good CIO, a CIO who is going to attract a board nominating committee and is going to go through that process, they are generally, they're not just technology experts. And that that was one of the things, one of the many, I always start out with my list of fairly dumb questions when I'm calling up CIOs and board experts and, and analysts and talking saying, why, why, why do you want CIOs? What do they bring to the board? They also, uh, we've talked about it many times over the years that uh, we used to call it the helicopter view of all the company operations. I've taken lately to switching over to the idea of the IT leaders as part of a central nervous system through a company. They know how everything works because a lot of times they have to fix it, right? If something, if something goes wrong in their distribution warehouse and it's a problem with software. So they have an in-depth knowledge of how all the, the systems and everything operates in a company. But the ones that I think are most attractive to boards are the ones that bring a whole diversity of experience with them, especially, and you and I both know a lot of CIOs who have 
worked as chief information officers across multiple industries. And you can't show up, uh, several people that have gotten these seats have assured me, you can't show up as a one-trick pony. You don't want to be, you don't want to become the tech person on the board. You actually want to bring all of your business experience and perspective to, uh, to that board for the discussions because boards are a team. You know, they, the, the, the board members are all operating together. They don't want rock stars or people that are going to try to, you know, swan in and tell them what to do. They're really looking to operate as a team in oversight mode. And every time I've talked with a CIO who's made that transition onto the board side has said what an incredibly eye-opening experience it is to be sitting back and to be responsible for oversight. There's there's no hands-on. It's not managing a staff. So, and that actually gets back to your original question of what do companies get out of this? Companies get a, uh, a broadening of executive capabilities and mindset when their CIOs go elsewhere and get on that other side of the boardroom table. Mm -hmm. They gain new insight into how companies operate, the impact of company culture in a whole different industry. It's just when uh, when I was talking with Angela Yoakum in my interview recently about this, she likened it to professional athletes who also, you know, maybe a footballer who also takes a yoga class, you know, because you're essentially, you're exercising different muscles and you're growing as a business leader. And I think if there's anything that is common common to all of those executives you and I have talked to over the years, the ones, the really standout CIOs, the kind that are going to appeal to boards of directors when they want to bring technology leaders onto their boards, um, those are folks that have this intensive interest and focus on business operations. And they, uh, they just, they love all of it. And they are not narrow. They are not, you know, that's why I think when we interview them, we hardly ever talk to them about technologies itself. They all see technology as the tool. Mm -hmm. And what the job is really about is change management and leadership of, you know, company cultures that are changing. I've had so many conversations recently about return to work and how that's going to end up playing out in so many different industries. And I know that that is very uppermost in the minds of a lot of board members. Um, and the the people that can bring that on the ground perspective, it's, it's hard to think of anybody uh, better at that than CIOs because they uh, because of that helicopter view, that central nervous system. However, you want to look at that, I I think it's uh, it's just very compelling, and they so they bring that kind of expertise to the other side of the boardroom table. For those CIOs who are interested in joining boards, given the fact that you've learned so much from others who have done that already, what advice would you have for them to follow in the footsteps of those who've successfully navigated the path towards board membership? Excellent question. Thank you. Well, you know how much I like to tell people their lives, Peter. So this is great. Um, the, the first thing to do, if you're really thinking about this for the first time, look inward to your own motives. What is your why for this? If, if you're thinking, oh, this is an easy way to make money when I'm retired, this is not going to be for you. You have to be someone who's fascinated with business strategy. You want to get your real world executive education. You want to share your expertise. It's 
not, it's a, it's really another job. And especially if you have a couple of board positions, it's, it's a lot of work, a lot of reading. Um, I recommend if they are currently VPs or CIOs, I say start your search on the home ground. Talk with your own CEO and your board. First of all, make sure that they're okay with you getting the word out there because that's the, I think, the oddest thing for uh technology executives to realize is that you have to go public when you are interested in board service. This is not like that quiet, confidential conversation you would have with a recruiter. This is practically hanging a shingle out there. You have to to expand your network. In fact, you have to mind the gaps in your own current network. All those wonderful fellow CIOs, the people that we love so much to engage with, they're not going to be all that helpful. You have to talk, you can talk to CIOs who already have a board position, maybe at a private or a public company, and ask them how that happened. And they will end up telling you that it was a personal network connection, someone in their business network. You also have to, and I mentioned this earlier, how important it is, you have to consider your professional reputation as it's reflected in your LinkedIn profile. You know, when a the first thing that a, a board nominating committee will do when they hear a name of someone who might be great for this open board seat is they go right in there and they look at what is your leadership brand and your reputation look like to the world. So don't ignore that. And then you also have to be ready with um, a bio and a resume that is re written with all the board issues in mind. You have to tell more of your own personal leadership story. You have to showcase a broader set of business acumen that you wouldn't necessarily need for an executive resume if you were going for another CIO job. And then finally, you educate yourself on the world of boards. There's uh, there's an extremely good podcast. If you don't mind me dropping a name of another podcast during this, I listened to Alexander Lowry has got a podcast called boardroom bound. And he got there way before I did. And he's the one who has the trademark on it. But he doesn't mind me calling my column that on CIO.com. Fortunately, it is a wonderful podcast. It's no relation to mine work. He's a digital kindred spirit, as it were. And he as uh, every week, he interviews various people, board members and board experts, a lot more business executives than I've gotten a chance to talk to. So I've recommended people follow his boardroom bound podcast because he talks about so much of this stuff. And then look around for board readiness programs. All you have, once you start Googling, once you start asking around among your friends, you'll find that there are more and more of them out there. And it's a wonderful education, even if you don't immediately use it to go out and find a board seat, it will help you understand a lot more about your own company board and their point of view. And I've just, I don't think either of us have ever met a CIO who wasn't in learning mode and always interested in in, in expanding their business executive capabilities. So it, uh, in fact, a lot of them just have a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. That's great. I wanted to ask you before I let you go, um, as you look to the future, you've talked about some of the things you're writing and some of the things you're looking to do. What are some other the things that excite you as you look out into the future, things that you're planning? 
Well, let me see. I've got, I, as, I, as I mentioned, you start when you start your new business, you're not exactly sure how it's going to evolve. <laughs> I thought I was going to be doing a lot of traveling around, and it I've ended up pivoting to a lot of virtual uh, moderating. I, I love, I just love run, I love being in conversations with these different executives. And so I'm excited about uh, the, I, continuing to research and talk to people about the boardroom bound column. I've got a great lineup coming for my leadership live. I've been very busy doing some virtual CIO keynote interviews. Um, for a little while, I had a podcast that I was really enjoying called Tech Career Ladder. And it was bringing in uh, different people to talk about that and uh, about as technology leaders are, are technology managers who would like to one day be CIOs, how do you make it up that ladder? Um, I also engage with some private clients. I do some writing and editing. I, I just did a spate of coaching sessions about how to win an award for your team, you know, because there's just, a, and this was something my friend Abby pointed out early on, you know, we, we go into this thinking, well, we're editors. And if we don't have something to edit, what do we do? But it, 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 I think it is all about the vitality in your engagement with your network. And it's just, um, it, it's endlessly interesting, mm -hmm. I guess, to, to be doing that. And I just had some conversations this week with some new potential clients who have seen CIO Leadership Live, and they're just interested in having someone who can really get into talking to CIOs. They're mm -hmm. like, we need somebody that really uh, understands them and also can make the conversations interesting. And, you know, that, uh, that has essentially, that's kind of at the heart of what I'm doing with my own media company right now. And I think like CIOs themselves, their jobs and their interests go in so many different directions. And what the what the future is exciting to me about is having the privilege of being able to follow them in those directions and essentially to provide what they need, you know, to filling pages and stages with CIOs and digital leaders is still pretty interesting work. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, I, I certainly hope you continue to do all of the above as, a, as somebody who's been such a fan of your work and somebody who's benefited from your wisdom and your ecosystem. You sit at, sit at the center of such a fascinating group of people and the extent to which you share all that with the world that we all gain from it. So Mary Fran Johnson, thank you so much for joining me today on Technovation. It's been a great conversation. Same here, Peter. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Monday when my guest will be the president of Zoho, Timothy Casby. This interview featured insights that you'll find in my upcoming book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. In an era of unprecedented technology progress and disruption, it's imperative that companies transform themselves to keep up with their digitally native competitors. In Getting to Nimble, I explore how companies, including Capital One, FedEx, CarMax, Domino's Pizza, The Washington Post, Walmart, and others, have modernized their practices related to people, processes, technology, ecosystems, and strategy. And I provide a framework for companies looking to do the same. To learn more, visit gettingtonimble.com.